Hi there and welcome. The First Christian Church podcast ministry features the teaching and preaching of the First Christian Church in downtown Roseburg, Oregon. Here's today's message. Well, if you have your Bibles, open it up to Isaiah chapter 6. So if you have your Bible and you open up right into the middle, you're probably going to end up in Psalms. You want to go a little bit to the right, you're going to come across, uh, what's after Psalms? Help me out, church. There we go. After Proverbs is Ecclesiastes, and then Song of Solomon, and then then Isaiah. You got it. Well done, class. Class dismissed. Have a great Sunday. Just kidding. Don't get up, Sharon. Um, Isaiah chapter 6 this morning, we are concluding our series called Six Life-Changing Prayers for 2021. And as we have gone through this uh, study, we have begun with a premise that says this, following Jesus was never meant to be safe. I think sometimes when we follow Christ or we make a decision for Christ, we have this image in our head that all of a sudden everything's going to be easy from here on out. And the truth of the matter is, Scripture just completely obliterates that premise. Because most of the time, Christ encourages us with this fact that in this world you will have tribulations. John 16, 33, one of Christ's last words, he said, But be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. And so in these tribulations, even in the stress and the tension and the problem of our day, Christ promises his presence. And so this series is designed to help evaluate maybe if we've been living too safe of a life as a Christian. Uh, It's designed to help push us out of our comfort zone. So we've looked at a number of different prayers. And if you've missed any and you want to listen to any of them, you can do so on our website um, and you can find those. Today's is a prayer of availability. Today's prayer is this, send me. Everyone say those words, ready, begin, send me. When you pray this prayer of availabilities, things will change in your life. God will call you to different people. He'll call you to a different city. He might give you a new job opportunity. He'll maybe be a new calling on your life. What's interesting is when you read scriptures, there's a lot of different responses to when God calls you. There's three that I found. Uh, The first one is this. Here I am. I'm not going. Here I am, I'm not going. This is from Jonah. Jonah chapter 1, we see the story. The Bible says this, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh, preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But verse 3 begins with a big but. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Jonah ran away from the Lord in the opposite direction. I wonder how many of you have had this experience where you've heard God call into your life and he is leading you in a direction and all of a sudden you find yourself saying the words, here am I, I'm not going, I'm not going. That person you want me to pray with, I'm not going to do it. That person I should ask for forgiveness, I'm not going to do it. That money that came unexpectedly in my life and I have uh, plans for it, I'm, I'm not going to give it away. I, I'm, I'm not going. Here am I. I am not going. 
God says, why don't you pray with this person? Why, why don't you pull over and see if that person needs help? And for one reason or another, we simply say, here am I, say it with me, I'm not going. There's another response, here I am. Would you please just send someone else? Right? This is Moses. Moses in Exodus chapter 4 says this, Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, I've, not, I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you've spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. And the Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, everyone say the word go, run, two, three. I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. Another big but in verse 13. But Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. Moses heard the call. He understood the call. He agreed with God's call. And yet he said someone else. Uh, How many of you have found yourself rationalizing, not going, not obeying, because someone else has way more money to give? Someone else has way more time. Someone else has much better opportunity. Someone else is much better with their words. Someone else has way more influence than I do. Someone else, Lord, please send someone else. There's different types of responses. Jonah said, here am I. I'm not going. Moses said, here I am. Send someone else. And then Isaiah says this, here I am. Send me. Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 8. We're going to look at the uh, first eight or nine verses of Isaiah chapter 6 this morning. But in verse 8, it says this, Then I heard the Lord asking, Whom should I send as a messenger to this people? And who will go for us? And this is Isaiah speaking. He said, I, Here I am. Send me. He didn't say, I'm not going. He didn't say someone else. He didn't say, well, what's the weather like? What are we talking about? What are the benefits like? Is this a nine to five gig or is this, do I, am I salaried at this point? What's the retirement look like? I'll need some more details. Isaiah's response was clear. It was succinct and to the point. Here I am, send me. He basically signed this blank contract with God saying, yeah, I'll go. Whatever it means wherever you want me to go, whatever it means for me in my life, whatever you desire, anytime, anywhere, whatever it is, here I, am, here I am, send me. How do we get there? How do we get to a place where we can fully surrender our lives to God? How do we get to a place when, where when God calls us, we don't say, I'm not going, uh, send someone else, but we have the courage, we have the principle, we have the conviction to say, send me. So here in Isaiah 6, we're going to look at three things that happened for Isaiah that I think will help us understand how we fully surrender our lives to God. Three things. Number one is this, a reverence for the holiness of God. A reverence for the holiness of God. We're going to back up to verse 1 of Isaiah chapter 6. He says this, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, Seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, and with two wings they covered their feet. And with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, 
holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices and the doorpost and thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. There's a whole lot of imagery here in Isaiah chapter 6 when we talk about the train and we talk about the seraphim. But recognize here that, God's, uh, that Isaiah saw the presence of God in all his majesty. Over and over and over again, they praised God with holy, holy, holy. And this recognition and reverence for the holiness of God transformed Isaiah's heart. The result of recognizing God's holiness in your life will impact every other part of your life. It'll bring a new awareness of our dependence on God's mercy in a discovery of the majesty and the holiness of God. Holiness, I want to talk about it for just a few moments because it's, it's more than just being really, really, really good. It's more than just being morally upstanding. This idea of God being holy is his root characteristic. Every other characteristic flows from this as his defining characteristic. And the holiness of God is a term used in the Bible to describe both his goodness but also his power. Completely unique, utterly all-powerful. I think it's helpful to think of God like, uh, like the sun, I want you to think about the sun for a moment. The sun is bright and powerful. Its energy radiates throughout the whole solar system. And it's a good and helpful thing to be within the sun's energy. But the sun itself is so powerful that anything that gets too close to us is dangerous. You see in scripture where we see examples of people, of men approaching God having not cleansed their heart, having not recognized their own brokenness, having not uh, properly prepared their heart, people that got too close to God's presence, um, you can see how that plays out. Um, For example, the story of Moses and the burning bush. As Moses approaches the burning bush, which which represents the presence of God, God tells Moses to take off his shoes because he's standing on what? Holy ground. And he warns him, don't come any closer. It's an example of how overwhelming powerful God's holiness is. In the Old Testament, when they designed the tabernacle and they designed the different parts of the tabernacle, if someone came into the Holy of Holies, which represented God's holiness, his presence, if someone came in there, if a priest came in there having not cleansed his heart, they literally would attach a rope to that person's foot. In the event that his heart was not perfect, they would hear him fall because he was not worthy of God's presence and they would pull him back out. These examples of God's holiness purify uh, what is impure. And so Christ, who is God's holiness in human flesh, goes out into the land. He heals uh, the sick, raising the dead. Jesus does all this, casting out demons, all of which are God's holiness and goodness coming upon the earth. So how do we fully surrender our lives to God? It takes a reverence for God's holiness. Now, whether we believe or recognize God is present in our lives is directly related to our awareness of his holiness and then our availability to hear him. You say, man, I just, I don't, I don't feel like God is near me. I don't know if his presence is in my life. I would encourage you to spend a few moments thinking about the holiness of God. Silence some of the noise, remove some of the distractions. 
for a moment. Control what you listen to. Control what you read. Listen, worship, sit in awe of the holiness of God. Make yourself available to him. How do we fully surrender our lives to God? It takes a reverence for God's holiness, but secondly, it takes a recognition of our own sinfulness. I want you to read these verses again and see what Isaiah's response was when he recognized the holiness of God. So verse 1, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. Two they covered their face, two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, Isaiah says. I am ruined, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Isn't it amazing that when Isaiah sees the holiness of God, he recognizes just how sinful he is. And when we see the goodness and the holiness of God, we should also in the very same breath recognize our own brokenness and sin. Suddenly we, comparing ourselves with one another, doesn't really carry any water anymore because we're recognizing God's holiness. Suddenly being good enough, whatever that phrase means, doesn't really compare to the holiness of God. Now the word sin is, is, uh, is a word we, we, we talk about on Sundays. I want to I walk you through what sin looks like in the Bible and the definition of sin in the Bible. Sin is a biblical word. Uh, in the Hebrew, it is this word kata. And in the Greek, it's this word hamardia. We're going to talk about both of those for just a moment. In the Hebrew, it's this word kata, which uh, one of the definitions is failure, to fail. Uh, we don't like the word failure. We don't use it very often in, in positive sense, right? In fact, every time we use it in, a, in, in, in our world, we, we try to spin it just a bit, and we say, well, every failure is that much closer to success, and if you're not failing, it means you're not trying. In the Bible, sin is a failure to make a goal, it's interesting, in Judges, they're talking about the book of Judges, they're talking about different marksmen and their ability to hit the mark or not. And the Hebrew word they use when the marksmen weren't able to hit the mark is this word kata. It's a failure to meet the goal. So what's the goal for mankind? Well, in Genesis 1-1, we learn that uh, God created everything. And in the course of Genesis 1-1, uh, we learn every human is made in the image of God. And in this perspective on why we exist in the first place, sin it marks any activity or behavior that God intended that we fail to live up to. You take the Ten Commandments, for instance. These are the rules for life. Half of them are markers on what it would look like to fail in loving God, and half of them are markers on what it would look like to fail in loving others. So this word kata, the sin, is a failure in loving God is evidence in a failure to loving others well. This is sin. So in any instance we fail to love one another well, this is an example of sin. 
This is our failure to do so. Uh, pop quiz, anybody know the first time sin is used in the Bible? I got it wrong. Gregory? Very close, Gregory. Right after Adam and Eve, there's their children, Cain and Abel. So Cain and Abel, this is actually the first time. Gregory, when I, when I asked, was asked this question, I said Adam and Eve too. Because they sinned, they missed the mark in terms of following after God. But the very next story that we see in Scripture, I want to say it's in Genesis chapter 4, is uh, Cain and Abel. And uh, Cain and Abel are two brothers, um, and they're fighting. Probably says something about the fact, because they're brothers, they were fighting. Their parents have their own uh, sin and brokenness they have already dealt with. But in Genesis chapter 4, God describes sin It's an amazing picture. He describes sin as this powerful, wild animal crouching outside Cain's door. And he says to Cain, you need to watch out because this this wild, powerful animal is waiting for you, luring you into this subhuman evil behavior. He says, basically, if you don't choose what is good, Cain, kata, this sin, this failure is waiting for it. Cain's sin is his failure to live up to what he knows to be true. So it's an action when we commit that, that, that represents this failure to live up to the relationship God has in mind with him or the relationship we have with others. When we sin against people, we sin against God. That's why in the New Testament, Paul uses the word uh, hamartia, sin, to describe the power or force that rules us. He describes us as slaves to this type of sin. So it's, it's more than just telling a lie or doing bad things. It's a failure as humans to fully love God, to fully love one another. It's an ability we have to uh, judge whether we are succeeding or failing. It's this inability, I should say, and it's a deep selfish desire that wields a deceiving power that drives much of our behavior. This is sin. And it's a pretty, it's not a pretty picture of ourselves, but it's the honest picture. How do we fully surrender our lives to God? Well, we first recognize the holiness of God compared to our own self-sinfulness. And then thirdly this morning, an understanding of God's grace. We're going to read this passage again. I really want you to soak in what Isaiah is experiencing in the year that King Uzziah died I saw the Lord, Isaiah said, high, exalted, seated on a throne. The train of his robe filled the temple. And above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, Isaiah says. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Verse 6, then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. 
Boy, look at verse 7. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. Verse 7, your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. You see, an honest evaluation of our human condition points us to the only source of hope. And when we embrace this truth that our guilt is taken away and our sin is atoned for, it really should bring us to a full place of surrender. When we look at the holiness of God and we recognize our own sinfulness and then we have a moment where we experience and we understand the grace of God in our life, This is why the gospel is presented as good news because the picture of what sin is in our life is so bleak. That picture that Isaiah paints for us, woe is me, I am ruined, I'm a man of unclean lips, of a people of unclean lips. This is why the gospel isn't just a noble set of ethical morals to help us live a productive life. It isn't just a good way to live. The gospel is the rescue for sinners. And the solution to the evil sin problem in our world is the gospel. The solution is this. Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin. So when you think about the holiness of God, and then you start thinking about our own sinfulness, I want for you just a moment to picture God sending his son, who was holy, 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 to experience that brokenness. And he took the responsibility for the sin, the failing of the world, with the death on the cross. He lived and he died for others. First Peter puts it this way. He did not retaliate when he was insulted. Isn't that an amazing sentence, first of all, that phrase? He never retaliated when he was insulted. Nor threatened revenge when he suffered. Boy, look at this. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. Boy, you feel like you're going through an insult, and if you feel, excuse me, you feel like you're suffering. Boy, take the example of Christ. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. He personally carried, verse 24, our sins in his body on the cross, So that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, you are healed. Once you were like sheep who wandered away, but now you have turned your shepherd, you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls. So with one touch from goodness and holiness, God has our sins atoned for. So your lying lips, forgiven. Your lustful thoughts, forgiven. The self-centered attitude, forgiven. The angry outburst, forgiven. Secret sin that no one knows about, that only you know about, forgiven. When you think about his amazing grace, it should transform you. And when you realize that you didn't bring anything to this relationship and that God brought everything to this relationship, this holiness, our sinfulness, and the recognition of God's grace, it should change us. And because of that grace, Isaiah says, I'm yours. Anytime, anywhere, anything. 
I'm yours. Here am I, send me. So here's the thing. Uh, the question is not whether or not God is going to call you to do something. He's already calling you to do something. The question is, what response will you have? It will be Jonah, Moses, or Isaiah. It will. God will lead you to do something, and you have the opportunity to say, well, here I am. I'm not going. Here I am. Send someone else. I feel like Daniel works one day a week. I feel like you should call him to do it. Yeah, it's not whether or not God is calling you to do something. It's this. Are you listening? And how will you respond? There is um, opportunity after opportunity. Um, this last week in our staff meeting, I was not there. Um, I was speaking um, in Eugene on Tuesday, so our staff met. But Darren and I met on Monday. And he said, Daniel, we need another worker in our kids' area. We need someone to volunteer for an hour or two every once in a while because our kids' program is growing. Uh, Dean and Linda need help back there. They've been working the computers and the camera and the lighting. And so Keith, Dean, and uh, Linda, one of these Sundays, it would be really awesome if they could enjoy a worship service. Instead of worrying if this mic is going to work or if this mic's going to work or if Daniel's going to lose it because the mics aren't working, it'd be really awesome for them to enjoy the worship service. Um, there is, uh, there's a group of middle schoolers that gather on Wednesdays right now with Darren, and it's pretty awesome. It's really loud, too, I'll be honest. Like, I got to schedule something during that period of time, or else if I'm in my office, it's just really loud. But there's like eight of them up there. And Darren's doing an amazing work. I don't know, do you have an hour and a half you could give so that middle schoolers can be in a, an environment where they want to learn and love God? Um, we were approached, our church was, um, to be involved with a local elementary school to partner with them once a week during the school year to, to teach kids about Jesus. Isn't that crazy? That a local elementary school would come to us and say, Daniel, uh, we, we would love for your church to partner with us. This is what we'll do. We'll give you an hour and a half, two hours, once a week. The kids will get a permission slip. They'll come to your church, and you run a program for an hour and a half, two hours. Tell them about Jesus, tell them you love them, and then they'll go back to school. Could you give a couple hours a week? Here, here's the thing. There's opportunity in God's calling. And we have an opportunity as a church to be a sail ship that just sails along. And it's beautiful and it's serene. Or, by the grace of God, we could become a battleship rescuing souls with the gospel that changed your life. And how selfish is it of us to say, here am I, I'm not going. Here am I, 
there another church that could do that, Daniel? Because I'm just right in my comfort zone right now. Uh, next month, we're going to be talking about missions. And I make no apologies for having four weeks where we get to talk about what our money is doing locally and internationally. Because it's an awesome thing to be a part of. Bob Wood's going to come next Sunday, and he's going to talk to us about what, what, what church planting looks like in Oregon and in the Northwest and all of these amazing stories of churches coming alive because of, partly, because of money we get to send them. Our elders made the decision this last December that we're going to increase our missions giving from our general fund. Why? Because God blessed us during the pandemic, and we were able to end the pandemic without uh, being in the red. We were in the black. That is an amazing thing for a church our size to be able to do that during a pandemic when we didn't have church physically for how many months and how many weeks to be able to finish in the black. And so we looked at ourselves and said, we should probably give more of our money away because God has blessed us with so much we're going to give. So we, we've increased the percentage we're giving to missions. We hope you have a part in that. The second week, you're going to hear about what an amazing local clinic is doing for women who find themselves with an unplanned pregnancy. The third week, we're going to hear from uh, Dr. Keith Potter from, Potter from Bushnell University and then Derek Voorhees from Boise Bible College. It's an amazing thing that we get to partner with. Um, so when you come and you hear these stories and you hear what could happen with the money that you invest, with the money that you could give, you get to choose. Here am I. <laughs> I'm not giving. I'm not going to do it. Here am I, someone else, or here am I, send me. Here's the thing, it's not a one-time decision, it's a daily decision. So how do we win this war? How do we win this war between what our flesh is asking us to do, because we talked about it a few weeks ago, our flesh would love to stay comfortable, our flesh would love to stay where we are, and yet the Holy Spirit is going to move upon us, it's going to ask us to move different things, and the way that we win this battle is understanding this principle, what we feed grows and what we starve dies. So when we feed our flesh, uh, give me, give me, give me. I don't have time. I don't want to. I like my life. When we feed our flesh, that is what grows. That sensation, that leading, that grows. And when we deny that flesh and we start feeding the spirit and we starve the flesh and we say, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to read the Bible. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get up and go to church. I'm gonna, even though it's available online, I'm going to get up. I'm going to bring my family. I'm going to go to church. Uh, I'm going to be the church the rest of the week. I'm going to study. I'm going to pray. Uh, my prayers are going to sound weird, but I, I'm going to try to figure this out. Uh, uh, what we feed will end up growing, and this is how we fight our battles. The question is not whether or not God is calling you to, to do something. Make no mistake, church. He is calling you. He is calling us. And the question is, what will our response be? Here am I, I'm, I'm not going. Here am I, send someone else, or here I am, send me. I love this story. I read it a few months ago. It reminded me of this passage. An old Cherokee is teaching his grandson about life. A fight is going on inside me, he says to the boy. It's a terrible fight, and it's between two wolves, and one is evil, he is angry, he's envious, he has sorrow, regret, greed, arrogance, pride, all of these things. 
superiority, uh, ego, uh, resentment, all these things. And the other is good. It has joy and peace and love and humility and kindness and generosity and truth and compassion and faith. And the same fight between these two wolves is also happening inside of you, grandson. The grandson thought about these two wolves warring at each other, and he says, well, which wolf will win? And the old Cherokee simply says, the one you feed. If you are a follower and a born-again Christian, there's a war, and I'm asking you to feed the Spirit. Feed the Spirit. Let it, let it do war against the flesh. Don't, don't give in so easily to the devil. Don't give in so easy to the enemy of our soul. Fight. How you answer when God calls is directly related to whether you will feed the flesh or the spirit. The flesh or the spirit. What are you feeding this morning? Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you made a decision for Christ or would like prayer with someone from our church family, we would love to connect with you. You can message us on Facebook by searching Roseburg First Christian Church, or you can email us directly at roseburgfcc.com at gmail.com In addition, if you're listening to this message on Apple or Spotify we invite you to like, subscribe rate and review this podcast and share it on social media so others can be blessed as well God bless you and have a beautiful day